0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, good morning to the people on Facebook watching online. My name is Helen Kelly, and I worship here at Palm Pack Church along with my family. My husband, Bill, is here. Um, we've been married almost 13 years. Um, and my other kids are here, but they heard in the first service. so And a couple of practice rounds. So <laughs> they're out in the lobby. But uh, we have William, who is almost 15. Kira, who actually, if you're here at the nine ever, she sings at the nine o'clock service and Kira's 11, and our youngest, Kaylee, will be nine this summer. And actually, before I start, I just wanted to give a shout out to, is Patty here? She usually comes to the 11. I don't see her. Patty was the one who preached last week, and if you were here, like, who was blessed by what she had to say, right? Like she has this like gift to tell stories that i didn't know was in her and like just her story and coming to jesus when she had chemo and just like all of it um so i just kind of wanted to praise god for what he did through her last week and something else that i want to point out because um well, as you know, or maybe not, Pastor Ken is on sabbatical for a couple more weeks, and it was kind of challenging to figure out how we were going to have continuity all summer long with a bunch of different speakers. Um, so we came up with this idea of Jesus said. So basically, more or less, everyone that's speaking is going to be focusing on something Jesus said. Maybe it's a parable, maybe it's something else in the New Testament, but that's the general theme. And beyond that, we didn't really organize a whole lot. Like, we have something where we would jot down the story or the verse we were doing just so it was, like, to call dibs, and, like, no one else could, like, get that for the rest of the summer. But we didn't have, like, coordination between messages, because we were just like, well, God will take care of it. We didn't know how, but we just, well, God will take care of it. He's in the details and um, we changed our dates a lot like we i don't know someone had a vacation and then my sister was going to have a she had a baby last two weeks ago so i needed this big buffer like before and after like her due date so that i couldn't preach then so we were switching dates around and it we like traded a little too like i will take your july holiday weekend if you take two of my (laughs) non-holiday august weekends And all this to say is we've had many, many versions of who's speaking when. Yet, it is remarkable to see how God is like threading all the messages together. Because two weeks ago, if you were here, when Joe preached on Father's Day, he talked about the merciful Father. And that was a perfect setup for Patty, like if you heard Patty, she referenced back to his message so many times because she spoke about finding your identity as a son or daughter of Christ. And then that is actually a perfect setup for my message because I will be speaking about the prodigal son. So the lost children of God going back to him. So we did not, it is playing out very, very nicely. I can't wait to see what God does for the rest of the summer, but we couldn't have planned it better if we tried um, and, and we didn't plan it. So um, I just wanted to kind of point that out and I don't know, see if you can notice little threads woven between the sermons because if you do, I promise you that that's all God. Now, back, like, so in my job, I'm a consultant, that means a lot of different things, Um, but one of the things that I get to do with my clients is I provide training, Um, and that might mean that the client, it's usually a government entity, um, brings me in to like train their people on something, or they hire me to go and train other people about whatever it is that government department wants people to know about. So, for example, on Friday, the city of Philadelphia hired me because they are bringing in a new program to address homelessness in the city, and um, specifically homelessness with those with behavioral health issues. And I have knowledge of the program that they want to implement. I could tell them how to implement it and what they need to do and all that stuff. So that's what I did on Friday. But I mention this because when I do my trainings early on, I have some learning objectives. And that basically just says, like, by the time you're done with me today, if I did my job, you are going to know X, Y, and Z. And as I was working through this message, um, It occurred to me that some learning objectives might be good because it's the prodigal son. And I'm sure that many of you think that there's nothing that could possibly be learned from the prodigal son that you don't already know. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, it's still like this story that just kind of has a life of its own. And you're probably familiar of the son who left home and then came back. So there's two things that I would like to accomplish, and I'll do like some kind of check, I don't know when, maybe halfway through, maybe towards the end to see where we're at. But even though this is a story that many of us know, I would like to, um, let's see, have you have one, at least one new perspective that you have never had before in relation to this story, and to learn at least one new thing that you never knew before about this story that you have heard many times. Sound good? Okay. Now, before I go into the scripture, I would like to tell you first about somebody else that was lost. They lived and they grew up in a typical Christian home. Their mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she taught them the Bible verses and all the things that you think would happen in a typical Christian home. They went to Catholic school for like a good 16 years. They even took family retreats as part of their vacationing the father was an attorney and this individual actually walked with their father across the stage to get his diploma from law school Um, after that the rest of the parents started bringing their kids up when the parents were called up one by one so things were pretty normal but then this individual as teenagers can do had started making some really bad decisions and started drinking very very young and initially recreational but then you know how the story goes it became more than that and then eventually as like a very young adult on a daily basis and somehow despite these activities and poor decisions um, this person they actually ended up third in their high school class and they were able to get a full scholarship to college a full academic ride Um, They actually got two of them. And one choice was a dry campus with a curfew, and the other one had no curfew and was not a dry campus. So I'm sure you could figure out which of the two universities this individual chose. Well, shortly after getting to college, um, I mean, throughout this whole thing, like poor decisions are still happening like all over the place. Um, But shortly after going away to college, the rest of like their life externally just started to kind of deteriorate their mom had was diagnosed with breast cancer and got a mastectomy Um, the father as it turned out had been living a double life the entire time even during that normal childhood and he actually that same father where this person went across the stage and got his law school diploma with him he actually ended up getting disbarred um, l- very long story short, he actually moved to Vietnam. He's still there today. So the person, um, did not really have a whole lot of, like, interaction with the father. This person also had an inheritance, modest, but yet an inheritance and, like, kind of a big deal for someone who just went away to college. The whole thing was spent by Christmas vacation, all of it. Um, and. Also around this time, I'd say it it was building up for a few years, but it didn't really come out until they were away at school. Um, They were diagnosed with major depressive disorder and they really thought that like it didn't matter if they lived or not. They thought that their value was kind of this net zero, okay, so they would, um, like, they weren't making the world any worse but they really didn't think that they were making it any better either and like it just it wouldn't matter if one day they just weren't here and so all of the thoughts and all of the actions that would go along with that line of thinking this person experienced and they actually somehow they were able to keep their scholarship but in a very poor decision they decided that they were going to just stop and moved back home. Um, They were gonna be a waitress and make cash, like that was like their big plan for life. Um, But they couldn't even stay home all that long because their mother saw how they were destroying their mind and their body, and just out of like very tough love, said you need to change or you need to get out. So that individual left and never went back home. one thing happened though and this ended up changing everything for this individual they found out that they were unexpectedly expecting and like it's hard to even like find the right words but everything that this person grew up knowing from their mother and like the technical schooling and god's promises came flooding back In one instant and they just knew without even second guesses like in like the most calm serene way that if God wanted this little baby to be born then it would be and God would provide so that was the beginning of a very small family and God started putting pieces back together in this person's life and taking out the bad um, in no particular order over the span of I don't know several years these are some of the things that started to change in that person's life they stopped drinking still have not had anything since they stopped they went back to college sometimes with that little baby with them in the classroom um finishing up and when they went back they got a 4.0 they went back got their masters got another 4.0 and then started their doctorate the lord put oh this family also they relocated they left um where they were living changed up their people places and things it was a much needed change and they moved to another state where they didn't know anyone at all but when they moved god just his blessings like they just they didn't stop he surrounded this young family with a church body and a pastor that knew the word and preached the word so well and so articulately and so down to earth and that was something that was new for this person Because although they were churched, they hadn't actually had this personal relationship with the Lord yet and really, um, like, getting into the word. They were exposed to mission trips where they were taught and experienced, like, letting go and letting God. And they were in Bible studies where they saw other women, like, hungry for the word, but, like, they didn't understand, like why like you just want to get up and like read the bible like like I, i want to like sleep is like what this person was thinking um so but they wanted it like they didn't know why like it didn't make a whole lot of sense to them but they wanted it and so they went to god and they prayed and they said god give me the desire to be like these other women that want you and god did it and so that person ended up switching the types of books they were reading it was nothing bad it was shakespeare and psychological thrillers but they swapped it out for timothy keller keitel eidelman dietrich bonhoeffer nt wright i mean c.s lewis the list goes on and on and on because remember the person did fairly well in school so they always liked learning it's just now they switched what they were learning about and they went full fledged into learning about god as he was doing that and filling up their mind he was changing their heart and their soul and just truly weeding out um, all of like that muck that really needed to be changed from the inside out with this person. So it was a very long and windy road to say the least, but it has all like kind of culminated so this person could stand here today and preach. I was lost and I was found. I am still very much a work in progress. He's not done with me yet thank goodness, but I know that I'm his, okay, and so Pastor Ken has asked me to come and speak to everyone for a couple of weeks, it's at least three, because I have this three-part series, maybe four, depending on how this goes, I might have a week in August, we'll see, um, and I keep telling him I'm not a speaker, like, I'm this bookworm that, like, I, I, I fiddle with Excel sheets on my computer in my pajamas because I work from home and like, I just like, I'm not a speaker, but he keeps ignoring me and he keeps giving me things to speak at. And I know that stretching myself is good. So it's it's, okay, I'm here. Like I wish sometimes that I didn't have to be stretched like so publicly, but it is what it is. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'll deliver a message today. Let's see. First things first. The prodigal son is a parable. And you've heard this term before, I'm sure. Um, Patty talked about the parable of the acrobat last week. And a parable is a very specific kind of story, which is the first point. They tell us about the kingdom of God, who Jesus is, and how we can follow him. So right off the bat, if you're know you're reading a parable just know that between the lines somewhere there's going to be at least one of these things if not all three and those who originally listened to the parables they understood that they meant something else than what was being said so like the tortoise and the hare everyone knows that that's not really about a tortoise and a hare. So the people listening in Jesus's time would have known if something this was said that was a stand in for something else. And he did that so people could think about it instead of just like feeding them information and so that they could then also draw their own conclusions. I want to give you some context because it's really important just like any book that you read to know like well why is this happening what's the setting like all of those things but you're not going to find that out in the verses of this story because they happen a couple of verses sooner and this would be the next slide so the parable of the lost son is one of three parables that has to do with being lost in Luke 15. It's the third one. First one you see is the lost sheep and then the lost coin. And this is happening because Jesus was eating with sinners as he was prone to do. And the Pharisees saw him and called him out on it as they were prone to do. And if you're not familiar with the idea of the Pharisees, they were like this religious elite who walked around following all of the religious laws, but like letting it be known that they were following all the laws. And they also were on the lookout for other people who weren't so they could call them out as well. So um, that is kind of what the situation is. These Pharisees came along they asked Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? And he responded with these three stories to explain why he was doing that. So we're gonna go into Luke 15, about two thirds of the way down. And I'm just gonna do the first half of the story today because the second half is for next week. Um, And it starts out, Jesus continued and remember it's continued because he had already just shared two parables, um, and this is the third. So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living Now, I had mentioned earlier on that with parables, nothing really is the way it seems. So to find this first parallel, let's remember that Jesus was talking to two groups of people right? He was talking to the sinners that he was eating with. It was actually sinners and tax collectors. They were kind of lumped together. So sinners and tax collectors, and then the Pharisees who came to question him. But there's also two sons in this story. We, act, we hear about the second son next week, but there's two sons. So two groups of people, two sons. There's a correlation there. The sinners are equated with the younger brother, the one who was like publicly living, sinfully. And the sinners would have been able to pick up on this. They would like pick up what like Jesus was putting down and this would be really good news for them because they're like, wait, we're sinners. And like, we could like just go to the father and like get the father, like that would be huge. But that means the Pharisees also would have understood this and they would not have like this at all. And we often get these warm and fuzzy feelings from this story. Like, oh, it's great. The son was reunited with the father, but this would have like shaken the world of the Pharisees. They would not, they would have been the opposite of warm and fuzzy when they heard this, because they're thinking that they're righteous. They know the way to the Lord. They're following the rules. Yet these other people are coming along like through the side door and getting right in. So they would not have been happy about this. That's the first parallel. Younger brother throughout the whole story, is equal to the sinners. And not just the sinners then, but like us as sinners. Another parallel that's really important here is that the far country or distant country, it depends on your translation, it's not necessarily a little literal place. It was here for the sake of the story, but it really just means any place where you're far from God. Um, Or like living in sin, or um, God's not your priority. And so for the younger brother to make this request of like wanting to leave, he had to believe that life in the far country was better off than his life at home. And it's living as though he doesn't even have a home, but he has to search far and wide to find one us though with the vantage point of this bird's eye view can tell that his father's house was there all along it never went anywhere that was always his true home and if you're not sure what it could look like being in a distant country because you might think like like you're not like like i was like for like those many many years like so visibly distant um you know your life is like fairly together but anger resentment jealousy lust, greed, all of those things and more are indicators that you have or that we have some kind of um, like distant country or we are in a distant country. And it's actually really easy for innocent distractions to start dominating our lives and pulling us in that direction. And the farther though that we get from our father's house and that voice that like calls us the beloved. The harder it is for to hear the voice right like I don't know think about like your kids when they're right on like the back patio and you call their name they could hear you they're right there. But then they go off and they wander off we have like some woods in our backyard if they're too far out maybe they're ignoring me but like I don't think that they can like they can't hear the voice as clearly as when they're right there on the porch same thing goes for us the farther we get from the father's house the harder it is to like hear his voice and recognize it because we're just so distracted by everything else going on so the issue really is like where do i belong the world or to god so you get this idea that this son leaving home it's like a bigger deal than just like oh i'm leaving home in our culture i feel like people leave home all the time it's like not that big of a deal but in this culture like that was not the thing to do you stayed with the family you tended to the farm you continued the family traditions the religious traditions all of those things so when he said he wanted to go like he was turning his back on all of that there is another part of the story that I think we or at least I I'll speak for myself have glossed over for like almost I guess my entire life pretty much until I learned it and like stopped not knowing it um but it's this idea and it's just this one sentence early on in the beginning where he tells his father give me what's owed to me and he asks for his inheritance now this has not changed from generation to generation this is still the same when do you get an inheritance anyone yeah when you die So for him to ask for the inheritance ahead of time, that was essentially like saying, I wish you were dead, or I want what you can give me, but I don't actually want you. And how often do we do that with the father? Like we want his blessings, but we don't necessarily want him and like all that like comes with him. And I also think it's important to kind of understand how um like the inheritance concept worked back then to really get a a fuller grasp for what's happening here so back then the oldest brother would get double of whatever the other siblings got so in this instance there's two siblings the oldest would have gotten two-thirds and the youngest would have gotten one-third but all of the wealth would have been tied up in land holdings and livestock and you know agriculture all of those things it's not like they they could just like write a check and be like okay here's your third for the father to give up one third of his wealth he would have had to rip his life apart he would have had to start selling off land and livestock so this is like really like insult to injury to like i don't know double injury i don't know i don't have another term for that but it would be like he asked to leave home or said, not asked, he said he's leaving home and then he wants his inheritance. So he wants his, wishes his father dead basically. And then on top of that, in order to make that happen, he actually like has to have his dad like rip his own life apart just to make it happen. So like there's a lot going on in like the first two sentences of the story that I feel like we often will kind of just gloss over. Okay, fast forward, he's in the distant country and i think like us um, he started thinking of ways to get out right he thought well i could be a hired servant and we'll think of ways that we can get out they don't always include god in the plans but we think we could figure it out but that doesn't ever go well and it didn't really go well for him either and there's scholars um, theologian scholars who have really studied this story over the years, and they have a theory as to why the younger son wanted to go back as a hired servant. And their theory is that he would have basically like disowned himself, um, even if the father had didn't want to disown him their culture would have dictated that what he did was egregious enough that he would just be disowned so the only way back into the family would have been to pay restitution so how can he do that though if he just got rid of everything so the thought process here is that he would go be a hired servant start to make some money back and then he could pay restitution and like earn his way back into the family but that's like saying, I couldn't make it on my own. I have to acknowledge that God is the only resource left to me. He's like this last resort. I'll go and ask God for forgiveness in the hopes I'll receive like a minimal punishment and be allowed to survive on the condition of, you know, hard labor. But when this happens, our God still remains a harsh and judgmental God. It's this God, this version of like what we think you know when we owe him something um, that makes us feel guilty and worried but that's not what our god wants for us submission to this god does not create true inner freedom at all so if you see he actually came up with this like very partial solution it wasn't terrible like he had this way to get back in the family, but it wasn't perfect. And it certainly wasn't what his father had in store for him when, you know, we know the father received him well and like threw him a party. So as long as we want to have like any portion of this ourselves, we're going to mess up every single time. So see, partial answer, incorrect solution. There is a solution though, and it's right here. It's really neat how like this story like sets it all up, but then they don't just leave you hanging. They do say like, this is the way um, to get back to the father. We are about halfway. So my trainer in me tells me to do like, okay, knowledge check. So by show of hands, if you have gained a new, we're like halfway through, but if you've gained a new perspective that you have never had before with this story, can I see a show of hands if that's happened? Great. Okay. What was my second objective? Oh, yeah. Second objective. Did you learn something with this story that you've probably heard so many times, but you were still able to learn something so far? Raise your hands. Great. We're on track. Okay. So how do you get back to the father? The quick answer is to repent. But here's the thing about that. So how do you get back to the father? You repent, but what's to repent? It means to go back to so the father. Like it makes sense. No, like, Who can make sense of that? Like it's just like this circular thing that goes on and on and on, like it's like maddening. So I'm gonna try and break it out a little bit more um, so that we actually have a tangible way to go back to the father. And I don't know if I could get this off. For all of you visual learners, I'm gonna just real quick show you like what it looks like and then we're gonna walk through it. So, okay. God is on the cross, well, Jesus is on the cross, that represents God. I'm over here, I'm in the distant country, I decide that, okay, I no longer want to sin. But I don't just stop, I have to turn around to the cross and then I have to go to the cross. So it's this like, you know, you choose about face and then go forward. And this is how it's done. First thing to recognize is that we always have a choice, which is the second point, to go back, always. And I don't wanna like harp on this too much because I think Patty did a really, really good job talking about choice last week. And she talked about her choice of choosing Jesus when she was receiving chemotherapy. And it, what do you just really need to like take away from this? is like the choice is ours. So if we're not like, going back, it's not anyone's fault, like it's only our choice. And I came across this quote probably about a week ago, the sermon was set, but and so I was not really doing research for this or anything, but I came across this quote, um, and it's from something that my kids call my pastor classes, because in case you don't know, I'm in like this discerning phase of if I'm being led to pastoral ministry. I have no idea. Like, I'm in the beginning of this. We'll see how it goes. But I'm taking these classes, nonetheless. And um, the class that I'm taking right now is Foundations of... Oh, it's the same process that that Joe was going through, actually. So he'll be taking this class soon, too. And the class is the Foundations of Wesleyan and Armenian Theology. It is as riveting as it sounds. And with that, I have to read 18th-century sermons which is also as riveting as it sounds. (laughs) And this particular quote is from John Wesley. And for those who don't know, he's on the other side of the pond, and he is like, if you want to say like the founder or the father of the Methodist Church. There's other things that like come into play, but he's like the guy. And um, while Walpompec Church, in case you didn't know, is a free Methodist Church. So he started methodist and then from there there's different branches and then so we're part of free methodist which happens here in the states but in this guy's sermon from like what was it 1740 this, um, this is what he preached on in his sermon called free grace and he said the power of the lord is present to heal them but they will not be healed they reject the counsel the merciful counsel of god against themselves therefore they are without excuse because God would save them, but they would not be saved. And that's kind of this idea of choice in a nutshell. Okay, so for the purposes of this lesson, um, we are gonna assume that we choose God, we choose Jesus. So from there, how do you move forward? Well, we need to ask for forgiveness and there's a really good biblical blueprint for repentance in verse 21 and that's when the son says father i have sinned against heaven and before you notice he doesn't give any justification for his wrongdoing doesn't give any excuses he doesn't blame the father for things he may have done that caused him to want to leave in the first place like none of that no pretense he just comes and he owns it and he says that he has first sinned against heaven and against the father so here we have that true repentance which is the third i think it's the third point um, involves a vertical aspect of admitting fault to god and a horizontal aspect of admitting fault to those who are harmed now although that statement that i just shared i've sinned um against heaven and before you although that is perfect The next thing he says he veers off course because he said that i am no longer worthy to be called your son and he like could not be more wrong that's not how it works we can never sin so much that god won't accept us nothing nothing can ever separate us from the love of god and jesus and because god is the primary body offended by our sin he's also the one with the power to restore and forgive us which he will do each and every time it's in his character he got his character is unchanging so we know this that if we go to him he will forgive and it's important for us to realize that the depth of our sin can never be greater than the love of jesus now i do have an illustration a visual that has helped me over the years with this concept of like well But he'll forgive this sin, like I could see how he'll forgive that sin, but like not that sin. First of all, like God doesn't see sin like that. We do, and different sins carry different consequences, and they hurt people in varying degrees. But in terms of like sin, sin is sin. And this illustration just kind of helped me. It's not like the most biblical like illustration ever, but it did help me understand how something like sin even really great ones can be covered so if patty were here with that storytelling gift that she has i'm sure she would tell everyone to get comfortable in your chairs and to close your eyes and imagine the sand between your toes And she would probably, like, tell you some marvelous story about her on the beach. But um, I'm not Patty. I can't tell stories the way she does. So, like, none of that is happening this morning. (laughs) And basically, I'm just looking like, cut to the chase. You're at the beach. And, (laughs) oh, Sissy, if anyone needs, like, a pick-me-up, spend five minutes with Sissy. She has, like, this contagious laugh. Like, if you can't tell, she's like, oh, it's good stuff. So, yeah, you're at the beach and like, you know, like those little, the, the tide goes away and then there's those little holes that are left in the sand. Sometimes they have like little bubbles that come up and like maybe like a little critter, but it's those little tiny holes is what I'm talking about. Okay. Imagine holes that are bigger, like man-made ones, like kids, maybe with a shovel and a pal, and they now are making larger holes. And then there's like teens somewhere and they are making like holes big enough to put like their friend in up to their neck. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like small holes, medium holes, large holes, like they're all in like one line. Um, Maybe you just have them all mixed up together, like all messy. I mean, you do you, that doesn't work for me. But if you wanna have all these different holes in different orders, that's fine. The idea is different size holes, okay, that's it. Then this wave comes in and like what is gonna happen to all of these different size holes once the tide comes in? Like, yeah, they're all filled and they're all gone. So it didn't really make a difference if you started off with these little tiny bubbles or the ones that the teens were making to, like, go bury their friend. Like, it's all covered. So this is the visual that, like, I have used over the years to help me understand in some small way, like, how God's grace and forgiveness can cover all of our sins, no matter what we perceive to be the size of them. All right, if you have chosen to go back, and you have chosen to ask for forgiveness, I think that there's one more step um, that often gets overlooked. And I think this is where some people get stuck. And I don't know why. It might be pride. It might be something else. But aside from asking for forgiveness, we also have to receive it. And I think some people, like I said, get stuck on the receiving part and receiving forgiveness requires a total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing, all the restoring and all of the renewing. Because remember the example that we had a couple of minutes ago, nothing that the younger brother could have come up with, could have been great as great as what the father came up with, right? and that's because he was still holding on to it a piece of himself he wanted to try and figure it out so if we can go as far as choosing to turn away from god asking for forgiveness but we're not accepting it we're still holding on to like a piece of it ourselves we're not allowing ourselves to receive all that god wants to give us and if we ask we already know that like the forgiveness is there so it's like it's already coming out like we just have to like break down that shield to be able to receive it I have one more parallel that I want to share with you before I invite the worship team up and then we'll close in prayer. And this particular parallel is not one that the listeners of the day would have been able to pick up on. They just couldn't. Um, It wasn't possible. But us, 2,000 years later, with all of Scripture revealed to us, um, we can see this, and um, it's pretty neat. And it's that Jesus himself became the prodigal son for our sake. I'll say it one more time. Jesus himself became the prodigal son for our sake. And this is what I mean. He left the house of his heavenly father. He came down to a foreign country, a sinful foreign country. He gave away all that he had, just like the younger brother. And he went back to his father's house through the cross. But he did this not as the rebellious son. He did this as the obedient son, like the obedient son is Jesus. And he did it so that he could bring home all the other lost children of God. Jesus really does call his mission a rescue mission. A couple of chapters later, so all this is happening in Luke 15, Luke 19, um, Jesus summarizes his ministry as a rescue operation, um, coming to seek and save that which is lost. Okay, so that is your message for this morning. I'm gonna close us in prayer and invite the worship team up. Father God, Thank you for each and every person sitting here today. Thank you for meeting each and every one of them exactly where they're at. I pray that each of us can get one step closer to you this week. For those who are in a far country right now, I pray that they choose you. For those who have chosen you, I pray that they can ask for forgiveness if they haven't already or for those who need to accept, may they accept you with open arms. Thank you for your mercy and for all the distant countries you've already delivered us from. Please keep everyone safe in the palm of your hands until we meet again next week. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.